leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Security Peace, we are live with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity, and it is CISO Thursdays. Woo, 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 woo. I am Renee Small, Cybersecurity Super Recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. My phenomenal co-host, Chris Fulham. Howdy, everyone. Happy Thursday. Baby Yoda says hi. Wipe the intro, Chris. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Mr. James Azar, big CISO, and we have baby CISO. Yes, we do. Uh, we absolutely do. He's, uh, he's three weeks old now, so uh, oh my gosh. It's, it's very exciting. It's it's finally starting to get into some sort of routine. Um, yes. You know, uh, I think mom had the hardest job. I simply get to change diapers and feed baby when I need to. That is awesome. Moms do have, mom has the toughest job. Hope she's doing well and getting better. I'm starting to see the greener horizons and pastures. <laughs> <laughs> had a very We've had adventures the last three weeks. It's always an adventure at the beginning. Um, and then we have Rock, who is coming back. He's had some technical difficulties, but Rock Lambros, when he comes back, he'll introduce himself. Zoe is here. Hey, Zoe. Keep keeping us um, um, informed about that job. Clinton says, happy Thursday. Good to see you guys and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Rock, can you hear us? Yep. We can Finally. hear you. Woohoo! So we have La Rock Lambros as our guest today. Please introduce yourself, Rock. Hey everyone, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be watching and listening. Uh, my name is Rock Lambros. I'm the CEO and founder of Rock Cyber, a small cybersecurity consulting company based out of uh, Denver, Colorado, uh, focusing on critical infrastructure industries. Sweet. Totally need security and critical infrastructure. 
So our topic for today or our kickoff topic for today will be getting into DevSecOps, right? Yes. How do we break into that industry for folks, especially if you're, um, and, and I think it's a really great space, especially for developers that are moving into security, you know, for people who want to pivot. Um, so it's, it could be a really, really good entry point, a break in point, so to speak. Um, so folks, take it away. James, you want to yeah. start? Or Chris? I, I can start. I, I know one of the things that I've been I've been talking to hiring managers a lot lately, and one of the things that you're looking for, especially when it comes to the, the DevOps, the DevSecOps space, you're looking for engineers who can uh, build and automate things and then add security to how they approach things. Um, they've found that it's a lot easier to bring in someone who's interested in security but has that DevOps, that engineering experience, and add security to them versus the other way around, someone who's experienced in security, but now has to figure out how to do engineering and how to do coding and how to do infrastructure. Um, Rock, I see you, you nodding your head. Um, what, what do you want to say on this? No, I think uh, fundamentally everything uh, is code, right? Everything is turning into code. And, uh, you know, I wish, as you could tell, I'm kind of, old and gray and um, have some wisdom long in the tooth. But going back to my career, like today, I wish I had focused more on that coding space, right? It's, I can't tell you the last time I, I wrote a line of code. And I think people trying to break into the industry moving forward today, and especially all these cybersecurity boot camps or cybersecurity programs um, in, in traditional uh, colleges and universities, it, you know, they need to be teaching more of the app dev side, of the engineering dev side, um, to be able to, um, you know, produce these individuals who are, are really qualified to fit in a more uh, quote-unquote buzz term alert, agile DevOps world. Um, we still largely focus on uh, governance and, you know, kind of like network segmentation and the traditional CIS top 20 type of controls, which is great because those are all foundational but we seem to be missing that. There seems to be a huge gap in whether that be application security or that rolling into um, DevOps or, or whatnot, so. James, what have you been seeing? So let, let's, let's start off by saying that there's, inherently there's a bunch of different roles within security. Um, and we've talked about them here on the show um, over the last, I think, year or so. And all of these roles entail different things. And, and, and you know, Rock kind of brought up all the different boot camps and we've kind of done that, spoke about it. I, I don't want to recycle it. What I do want to get into today though is the fact that everything that we do today is software-based. And if you don't start to address the fact that everything is software-based and that companies who produce software because simply we live in a supply chain world where everything is as a service now, Right, so platform infrastructure and software is all as a service. And obviously now we've got IoT as a service and we can keep going down that list of things that come in as a service. Well, that's all software. And there's going to be a point in time where organizations that buy that software, that use that platform, that are supported by a specific infrastructure are going to want to audit the 
software supply chain side, especially after SolarWinds. When you think of SolarWinds, we're 11 months past SolarWinds, um, but we're not really over it. Um, we've kind of, a lot of people have kind of let it slip to the sides, but we can't really ignore the fact that that was a sophisticated software supply chain. If you look at every single vulnerability we've talked about that's been significant, I'm not talking about the stuff that vendors used to sell you uh, a burning bridge somewhere or uh, send you an email so that you open it and take a meeting. I'm talking about the stuff that is really significant. It all lies within the CICD pipeline within how do we maintain our SLDCs. Um, and if you're going to break into security and you really want to build a long-term career and really develop it, well, the next line of CISOs are all going to be software CISOs, right? Um, the evolution of the CISO reporting to the CIO is all but starting to go away. So you're going to start either a CISO is going to be kind of like an Alan Alford where you're a CTO slash CISO, right? Um, and, and Alan wears both hats magnificently. Um, and he's really kind of defining that role, but that's going to be the future of it. So when we talk to, when I'm talking to people who want to break into security now, it's go take a coding boot camp, learn Python, learn uh, C++, learn something. Um, because um, you're going to have to learn how to code, number one. And number two, if, if you think of like the Microsoft ecosystem, the Microsoft ecosystem today is derived by PowerShell. Yeah. And you're going to have to learn how to, how, to, how to write PowerShell script if you want to even be a security engineer or even a basic architect within the Microsoft ecosystem. I have a question for you all. Do you think that coding should be, I thought coding was like a, a fundamental just component of these security programs. So when James, you made me laugh just now when you said go learn something um, because I remember Anything but liberal arts, okay? <laughs> Anything but liberal arts. Amen. Nine minutes in. Woohoo! We're breaking our own record. Um, when I was in undergrad, many moons 20 years ago, good Lord, um, I had to take C. Like, it was an information technology yeah. business program. It was in the business school. So it was information technology. But you had coding, I mean, coding was a component, like it was your basic foundational course. And I'm curious to find out if there, if that's what's happening in these boot camps and these, you know, cybersecurity programs, master's programs, things like that, if, if they're not in there as kind of like your baseline understanding in the coding space. So look at like Western governors, right? So they've got probably one of the more popular BAs in security. They don't really teach you coding. They kind of cover it, hover over it, touch on it. And a lot of other universities touch on it unless you go take the class. I kind of want to flip the script, though. This isn't about the boot camp or anything like that. This is about how you develop the next line of workforce. Right. Because the demand in five years is going to be, you don't have DevOps anymore. DevOps is going to be a dead term. It's going to be DevSecOps. Every position is going to be DevSecOps. You and so if you want to be a DevOps person, you want to write code, you want to be in, in, in development, you want to be a developer, you want to be a software engineer, you want to be a software architect, you're going to have to learn how to write code. And you're going to have to learn, one, you're going to have to learn code to do that job. But number two, you're going to have to have the basics of how do you build security. And by the way, where you're seeing that the most now is GitHub versus GitLab and Bitbucket. If you take all three and you start to compare it, um, 
So GitHub got bought by Microsoft. Those who don't know. So that means that it's kind of like Skype. Um, anyone remember Skype? Yeah. All, all, all too well. All too well. But GitHub has become kind of like Skype. Um, it's there. It's popular. Everyone uses it because it was grandfathered in. And now you've got GitLab and Bitbucket who have kind of come up. And those founders and those companies have kind of come up with the whole concept of how do we build a CI/CD pipeline within our own architecture and infrastructure? And then how do we secure it so that you don't need to go and integrate 700 different things? And Microsoft right now is getting shellacked by both of those in GitHub. And I say Microsoft because Microsoft owns GitHub. GitHub is a separate business unit. But at the end of the day, Microsoft bought GitHub because it understood the power of GitHub to its ecosystem, but they're not investing. They're not really picking up. They've been so vested on Azure and Azure Active Directory and uh, Office 365 E5 that they've completely zoned out GitHub, which is at the basis of everything we do in technology today, which is software. And that's where people go. Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, I would argue it really depends on where where in cybersecurity you want to go, because there's always going to have those non-technical roles, those individuals that have liberal arts and know how to talk to people. Because in the end, if you can't talk to the business and you can't find out what drives them and how to communicate that message to, to your board, to the rest of your your, your peers, you're, you're gonna you're gonna find yourself yep. never talking at the big boys table or big girls table. Um, you'll always find yourself being filtered by another leader. So those those individuals are always going to be needed. So when you say everyone needs how to code, yes, you can learn how to code and it could help you in your role. But it's if you want to be on the technical side of cybersecurity, coding is going to be helpful. Coding will be the basis of your of your foundation. So, so if we're talking in the context of building kind of the future generations, even GRC is is going to become code, right? Even GR, you know, a lot of GRC tasks are, are going to end up being automated. So, I am very passionate about being able to to speak to the big boys table, like like very passionate about it. My COVID project was writing a book about it, uh, but that's also that role isn't for everyone. So like you said, Chris, it depends on like which path you want to take. But I would argue that even fundamentally, as we move to more and more infrastructure as code, platform as code, um, and, you know, automation, right? Because that's ultimately at heart what DevOps is and being able to automate these processes, GRC is going to have to be automated um, along the way as well. So, I, you know, while you don't have to be, you know, like NASA level computer engineer uh, coder, right? A strong, you still need a strong fundamental background to be able to just go in and, and hack a script, hack a, a, a JSON file, right? In, in AWS to, to be able to implement some automation features, uh, even with regards to GRC or IAM or some of those more governance, non-technical roles that you're talking about. You also have to look at it from a, from another perspective, Chris, which is um, uh, what Rob just kind of brought up, the automation piece. 
But if you go beyond the automation, you know, the, the, the human capacity roles, we tend to automate. And I'll challenge you by the following. When was the last time you walked into like a, a McDonald's Burger King Chick-fil-A? Never walked into it. Walked in? Drive through. It's all computerized, though. So, so I'll give you an example. So this summer, when I was in Israel, um, I took my uh, my niece to the mall, and we went to the food court, and she wanted McDonald's, right? Like every three, four year old, you know, they're corrupted with McDonald's. And so, <laughs> McDonald's has completely eliminated the need for cashiers, right? It's completely automated. You walk into a touchscreen machine. You customize everything you want, and that's it. It's done. It's over. You don't. The, the next time you speak to a person is when someone says, "Order twenty nine, because that's the number on your receipt. And they say, "Do you want what kind of sauce? Do you want with your nuggets?" Right. Well, governance and a lot of these roles that today have human capital and human capitalization to them are going to end up getting automated because as we move to more as a, as a service. When we look five years down the road, 10 years, I'm not talking about now, right? I'm not talking about today. Today, though, you, people are going to hire you today because we need people. But you're going to eventually go kind of very similar to red teaming, right? Red teaming used to be like the biggest shortage, right? We couldn't have enough red teamers. All these red teaming boot camps, everyone went in, everyone paid, right? Everyone got their security plus or their certified ethical hacker. And now red teaming's pretty much been... Network pen testing is now pretty much automated. Yep. You have no need to have a human do a network pen test today because machines do it more often for cheaper and are just as effective. Right. I want to. They're, they're still learning the business context uh, challenges, right? Um, there's always going to, to be how does business context work and finding those business context loopholes. I, I will say in five, 10 years, as AI, quote unquote, machine learning tends to evolve, it, they could learn how to, to figure out those narratives and how to figure out those loopholes, but uh, valid point. Well, and, I, and you know, we're never gonna automate the human out of InfoSec, cybersecurity, whatever term you wanna use today. Uh, we're never gonna automate the human out of it. We're just talking about, you know, what does the next generation um, of cybersecurity professionals need to look like, right? Like what are some of those fundamental skill sets that they should be striving for to be valuable in the marketplace, to, to raise their value in, their mar in the marketplace? Um, you get somebody who's got soft skills and can code, like I don't, I don't care if they can spell cyber, I can teach them that stuff, right? So, um, you know, I think we're talking about like, like two things can be true at once, right? We're never gonna automate the human out of cybersecurity ever. Uh, business context is hugely important. Um, you know, even like from, hey, are we in a in a high growth phase organi uh, organization or environment, or are we hoarding cash right now because well we're in a global pandemic and the market has crashed, right? Even understanding that business context um, helps you um, bring value to the table, and you know we're never going to kind of automate that piece of it. So a couple of good comments come up here. First and foremost, um, and before I jump into comments, I just wanted to say that I think that 
Um, I'm with James on the just coding as a fundamental. I think coding should just be a fundamental skill. Like how I was telling one of my my um, friends, we both have kids that are the same age. And I just talked about it as like reading and writing and math because everything <laughs> is developed now. There's nothing that we touch that isn't, that doesn't have code behind it. Like James talked about going into McDonald's. You know, I talked about, I talked to my son about the cars having son, you know, you're driving a computer. It's just so <laughs> fundamental at this point. Um, and it should, it should be a fundamental skill, regardless of you go into a hospital. My mom is a retired nurse and she says, you know, going into a hospital today, she wouldn't be able to function because everything is, there's so much automation there's so much, everything you're touching has a computer component, technical component to it. So like, why wouldn't we all be getting that fundamental skill as a whole? And I, to be honest, I think it should be starting way younger than, getting to um well it should start in school right start elementary start school, school kindergarten first grade street, second grade right? and, yeah. and we're seeing that i mean my niece um has definitely been she's 13 now but she's been exposed to that stuff for at least three four years um you know even through just like little raspberry pi kits and, and whatever but uh and now fortunately she's like in a stem program at a school so she actually took a, a liking to it so we're yeah. starting to see that yeah um but it's going mean, to take a while. That's the future. If you look at, yeah. um, I was on a webinar recently and it was the B B Bureau of Labor Statistics. And you're talking about the future roles, like in 10 years, what roles are going to be, what roles are in growth and which ones are going down? It's, you know, if you don't have a, a baseline understanding or fundamental understanding in this space, it's just going to be a struggle as we continue on. So um, comments here, Danielle is back. Hey, Danielle. We haven't seen her in forever. I hope you are well. Um, Danielle says machine code language. She said um, there's, role, there's a role for everyone. It won't necessarily be the same role. This is when we were all talking about GRC and different positions, different roles. And then uh, Danielle, I think, made another comment. You cannot automate the physical security element of cybersecurity. But, you, but they are. The cloud is doing just that, right? Yeah. I mean, the cloud is getting rid of the whole element of now it's operational security. So we need to get rid of like physical security and start to talk about operational security or OPSEC. So what devices are people using? How are they using them? How are they sourced? I mean, the biggest thing for me now on the Internet. Right. I mean, Yahoo uh, bailed out of China this week. Yeah. That's like getting like no coverage whatsoever. But I'm like, this is significant. Like Yahoo is leaving china yep. um, yeah yeah which is huge right because you you know for the last decade decade and a half we've been learning even like through mba programs china's an emerging market you know there's a billion people in china it's an untapped market that's why globalization that's why businesses are going there and now without getting into a geopolitical debate you're starting to see i think yahoo's the biggest feather of organizations that have pulled out but you are starting to see organizations out of China and kind of reevaluate those strategies. Well, even Microsoft has, is rethinking their China strategy. A lot of U.S. organizations are rethinking their China strategy. And I think one of the biggest reasons for that is China's demanding to see inside their intellectual property and companies don't want that to be copied and, and replicated by 
white label versions of this. So companies are starting to realize that if they want in that market, they have to potentially give up their IP in order to get there. And is that really worth it um, for, for that market share? Right. You know, okay. it used to be, it used to be that um, uh, we always went for quantity, right? A billion, 1.3 billion people in China. That's a huge market. Yeah, but if 90% of them are slaves being paid 10 bucks a month, right. what the hell exactly kind of market are you going right. into? That's like saying North Korea, man, untapped. Right, exactly. Right. So Joseph Drayton says, happy Thursday, everyone. And he says, is there a Q&A portion of this show? The whole show is Q&A, my friend. <laughs> so ask We're your doing question. It right now. <laughs> ask your question. We are happy to jump in and answer it. Paul Cummings. Oh, no, I'm late. You're not late. You are here. So Paul you can never be late to live. <laughs> so, Renee, like back to your point, uh, while well, your point is up, back to your point of, you know, we're driving computers, right, in the, in the cars. I think it was, it was either Ford or GM that came out and said a few years ago, we're not a car company. We're a software company. Yeah. That was right? Ford. Yeah, no, was Ford. Software company first. And then we happen to have you know, four wheels that kind of move it forward. Yeah. Well, if, if you ask Tesla, Tesla will tell you they're not a car company. They're, they're, they're an energy company, right? Like, I mean, they're full-fledged. They're fully kind of committed to the idea of we're an energy company. We're not, you know, a car is just one of the products we use to, you know, kind of produce or, you know, reduce energy. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the supply, one second, sorry, Renee. If you look at the supply shortage for everything from cars, home appliances, personal devices, they're all computerized and there's not enough chips to go around. So that's why there's a shortage and a marked increase on everything because everything's running on a chip these days. Yeah. Um, you're sure it's not because there's like 100 chips outside of California that can't unload? <laughs> that too. That too. But I mean, what? What? what um, Intel invested fifty billion dollars in in Arizona to build five more chip plants to to try to address the market and catch up where they are. Because now that's so. So again, here we go. This is kind of like the whole point of coding, right? Is um, I was speaking to a friend of mine last night who works for Nvidia. And he's, he, he, he does a lot of their gaming stuff, right? He, he creates video games. And it's the coolest job on the planet, right? Like, like you see this guy's like CV. He's like total, like, bad mamma jamma. Like, you know, you want to go to his house and just game all day long, right? Because, you know, he's got, like, the best graphics cards. He's got the best processors. I mean, he's just got the best of everything. But when you think of, like, the shortage, the shortage of video cards isn't because they can't make them. It's because the because they can make them. It's just the demand isn't there, right? So NVIDIA drops a card today that no one's really going to use for two to three years because the games and the game manufacturers haven't yet adapted to the new technology that comes with these new cards so that can allow you to really play a game at a really high level. Because how disappointing is it to watch like a Madden preview then get it on PlayStation and you're like, the graphics aren't even the same. Right, because of the way they, because of that. But now we're at a point where the preview can match the game, but the manufacturers haven't yet picked up on it 
and don't have the skill set. And they don't have the skill set because they don't have the people who have the skill set to do it. And they don't have that because there's less people really that are looking at coding. Um, a lot of that is being outsourced. And, and that's a huge job market. It always has been in our country. Uh, we've just haven't really invested in it. And I think it's telling, uh, you know, that they're starting to actually actively market more towards the crypto miners, people, people who want to use the GPUs to mine crypto versus do what they were originally designed for, which is process graphics, which is a much more kind of complex task, right? Versus crypto, where it's just kind of churning away and you're just eating uh, processor cycles. So Scott wants to know, should I drop, should he drop his Mandarin no. as a second language class? No. No. <laughs> and, and, yeah, don't drop, don't drop it. And, act, and, you know, frankly, being bilingual or multilingual helps you kind of in the, yes. you know, in cybersecurity in general, but also with coding, right? Because, you know, C plus and Java, they're cousins, but they're still different languages. They're like Mandarin and, and Cantonese, right? So being able to, you know, or um, whatever, Ruby or, or whatever, right? Those are all essentially different languages. They're just literally computer languages versus human languages that you pick up. So if you have that skill set and that capability to be multilingual, that'll help you there as well. Good analogy. I think there's a, the mental framework of picking up um, linguistic patterns yeah. that is hugely trans translatable to picking up co uh, coding patterns and being able to learn that quickly. So if you have the ability to be bilingual, you could be you could code in many languages fairly easy. Sterling says, awesome shirt, Chris. I think coding is a good skill to have in the toolbox, even if you're like me and a communications professional pivoting into cyber, it helps to have even a basic familiarity of one or two languages in parens, Python and JS, et cetera. The other thing, going back to that Mandarin comment is, um, people don't understand that in code, you've, you've got comments. And if you're trying to analyze code, especially if you're doing like forensics, insecurity yeah. and, and you're trying to like analyze malware a lot of times some of that comments on the stuff you're analyzing is written in farsi uh it could be written in russian could be written in, in, in chinese and yeah. um korean um you know ukrainian latvian i mean romanian bulgarian and then there's, there's a ton of languages out there so you want to be just because you're becoming a developer doesn't mean you should give up a second language hell pick up two or three uh, while you're at it, yeah, um, and, and study those. And the same goes for thread intel, right? Not just looking at um, comments in code, but to be able to look at comments in malicious code as you're dissecting it for thread intel reasons. That's definitely helpful. Yeah, absolutely. The bad guys don't always write in English. They're like, "Oh, make this very easy." Serbian. <laughs> <laughs> Paul says, I forecast a lot of companies jumping on quantum nano and XDR to reduce human power to find out a year later they still need analysts. This is more for the from the sim side. Um, and he also says learning those fundamentals would also help empower you to join critical infrastructure, cyber, an area in deep need, which is in reference to coding skills in school. Yep. Because so, so, you're not even on the critical infrastructure side, right? You start looking into programmable logic controllers, PLCs, and how SCADA and, and distributed computing systems operate. It's different than your traditional IT. Those protocols are different. Those protocols don't have uh, security, by and large, built into them natively, right? So 
um, picking up those coding skills will absolutely help, right? Because they're all written in some sort of uh, logic coding framework. Yeah. Here's the thing. Start with C++. It's the hardest one, but from there, everything gets easier. Yeah, sure. Like machine, like machine code. Code. Don't, 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 if you're like, don't Python. I agree. If you're sitting there saying, if you're sitting there thinking to yourselves right now, which language should I go pick up first right now? C++ is uh, essentially has become the set of stone, right? Everything is since C++ has kind of been derived in one way or another off of C++, right? Yeah. Whether it be Java or Python, it's got a lot C of similarities. C sharp. Yeah. Right, so that's a that would be a great foundation, like and like James said, then um, you can kind of go from there. C plus plus is still the fastest way to process information from a software perspective. Python's really really slow. People talk about Python often, like it's like the next great thing here, but it, Python's good, but it's still very very slow. It's kind of like the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Well, yeah, it's, it's um, compiled it's compiled uh, compiled code versus non-compiled code, right? And Python is really more scripting language than, than it is a, 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 a full-featured uh, compiled uh, it's, it's not compiled code, right? So, of course, it's going to be slower. Paul sent that in. He said, here's a helpful start for folks listening, intrigued by learning coding. So it's a tutorials.cyberaces.org slash tutorials about coding. So cool. Thanks for that resource, resource Paul. Um, hi, it's me, Raj, here from India. Hey, Raj from India. Hey, Raj. <laughs> Danielle says, once you learn one coding language, the next one becomes easier. The problem is keeping the syntax straight after learning multiple coding languages. Yep. Do I need, do I need to put a semicolon here or not? <laughs> <laughs> so Rosa says, looking at breaking into the forensic side, any suggestions? Is there a large market outside of police force? Yeah, everyone in industry. Um, Mandy, every Everybody. single, every single cybersecurity company from, um, I, I don't want to name drop names here because I don't want people to take them as endorsements. So I'm not going to name drop them, but I'll just say, look at every single major cybersecurity company, Rosa, they all have forensics team. They all deploy and do incident response and they all need it. The police force is actually going to be the most underpaid and underappreciated job you'll ever do. Yep. You're better off going to the private sector. Um, every major company usually has their own IR division as well, yeah. in addition to the consulting companies that they will bring in for potentially the, the more complex engagements. But they try to try not to do that because the big boy, the big companies like that, big boys, big girls, charge a lot of money to come in for those engagements. Yeah, yeah I was going to double down on that, um, Rosa, any large company. So literally any large company has a usually has a forensics person or team inside. And we mean large like cybersecurity service companies, right? Like not necessarily No financial services well, like big, it could, big, big Chase or yeah. Cap One yeah. or Freddie Mac or you know any of those large ones usually yeah. have a group like that in there. Um okay Joseph Drayton has his question. In regards to a pathway to pen testing, as someone who's going for a net plus and security plus, what advice would you give to someone looking to get into the pen testing world? I know about try hack me and hack the box, but how can I present that knowledge to an employer? So talk about um, how you used those challenges to hone your skills and what business problems they solve. 
create incident response reports based on those challenges with your analytical skills. And then the other thing is you have to be able to understand the, the attack, attacker's mindset and how you can use that within any pen testing engagement. So you're using the try hack me as a potential adversary and you have to explain that to uh, potential hiring managers that that's the mindset. This is why you went this way. This is how you manipulated the code and got the response that you were looking for. Yeah, create a create a, like a, almost like a portfolio for yourself, right? Uh, you know, these are kind of the scenarios I set up. This is how um, this is how I attack them or I approach the challenge. And you know, hiring managers out there uh, looking for people. I mean, this is going to be a rant, but don't don't tell me that we have a cyber skill shortage when all you're doing is looking for people with specific prior experience or certifications, like they have to have a CEO or, or pen test plus or whatever. Right. Or, a CIA, or an OSCP. Or an OSCP. Like, you know, does, does the person have the passion and the capacity to learn the technical stuff you can teach? Right. Like, so don't, you know, we could have another uh, live conversation about the supposed skill, skill gap that we have self-created. Right. I think we talk about that every week. I will say, Joseph, go back and listen to episodes from a year ago. We talked about this extensively. Uh, We've got a full library and breaking into cybersecurity's uh, CISA Thursdays where we kind of addressed all that. So all all great advice. But if you want more, just go back and listen to a bunch of some of these old episodes. It's relevant to me than it was then. The early ones, like between January, like right around January-ish time, we had a lot of discussion around this. Um, so Danielle says, Ha, C++ was easy after trying to keep track of bits in machine code language. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew says, can C++ be used for web development on backend to speed it up? No idea. I, I, I don't I code don't, in there. No, so. Dep- well, depending I, on the I, website. So. Go ahead. Go ahead, James. De- depending on the website. So, so it just depends on the website. Uh, most websites today, you have no need to use C++ um, simply because most people use like Wix or WordPress. And, you know, there's very little coding requirement there. It's, it's all just pretty much, you know, plug and play. Um, unless you're really building a customized website, then, then you know, you use C++. But for the most part, you don't really need to. Yeah, and even then, I guess if you're hosting your own infrastructure, um, yeah, or if you want to play or just you know try something out. I'm thinking of I'm thinking about it from the from the perspective of develop like learning the skills. So that might be where he is in terms of the question. I'd say go to Stack Overflow and ask some of the developers there that are looking for stuff to copy and paste. Yeah, it's true. good point. So Paul is telling Rosa, SecureWorks has an awesome forensics team, and he knows some people over there. So Rosa, make sure you connect with Paul. Um, this person says, okay, can we just get together an animal house of coders and hackers already? Please and thank you. I love the Ron Swanson at the end. Um, <laughs> I'll take the Ron Swanson any day. Uh, but, but, you know, we've talked about, you know, Cyber City USA. Um, we still haven't decided on it. Let's do it. We should put it in there. It should be in the metaverse. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. You know what? Negative. No, it should not. <laughs> All right. 
Um, no. Paul says a lot of pen test firms are looking for GitHub. Not saying write your own tools, but having a Git of your toolbox. Not a bad idea. That's kind of the portfolio. Yeah. yeah. GitHub has kind of become like the free repository for pen testers to host shit for free. Yeah. The other thing that I, I used to do uh, back in the day when I was learning how to how to use all the scripts from Microsoft is I would just have um, a notepad of all the scripts, what they do, so that I can always go back to the frequently used ones and be able to modify it as needed. Excellent. Uh, Joseph says, thanks in regards to our um, advice. So I wanted to add in earlier, I know we're past this point, but we had a CIO on here when we were talking about the cars and the, the car industries. We had a CIO on one of the Breaking into Cyber Leadership Editions. He was CIO of the Ohio State Turnpike. And he talked about purely, you know, that anyone coming up nowadays, if they wanted to break in, that should be the space that he talked about, you know, what autonomous vehicles, are, you know, how, how we're moving and that autonomous vehicles will be in the next 20 years or so um, completely, you know, being on the road. So think about how much code is involved in that, like what, how, how to secure that, like, you know, he went and that's another great um, episode to, to watch. It is the CIO of Ohio State Turnpike, and I'm trying to remember his name, but it's a CISO. It was a leadership series episode, um, and he just talked about that in general. And it, it just goes back to the fundam fundamental of what we were talking about earlier in terms of code. So um, Paul says, this person says, Paul, this is exactly what I was discussing about an hour ago. Good feedback. Um, and Joseph says he's kind of intimidated by breaking into the cyberspace. Don't be. And people aren't that scary. They pretty much all look like Chris. They wear Yoda shirts. <laughs> exactly. Just, the whole black background. Yeah. Shades. It's all psychologically fearful, but really they're all just teddy bears under it all. Um, Bill. That, that's, why, that, that's why all Russians are called bears. Uh, <laughs> there you go. These ones are pandas and Iranians are kittens. <laughs> and kitties. Do we look intimidating to you? We're always intimidating. <laughs> I mean, talk about the diversity just in this group right here. Exactly. Yeah. Paul says, don't be Joseph. Joseph, connect with Paul. Make sure you connect with people. That's another thing we talked about. We talk about this all the time in networking. And there's so many people that have made connections just from being on this, being get, not guests, but making comments in the comment section and connecting with people either on LinkedIn or on YouTube. And then from there taking that kind of offline and or online further and just making more and more connections. And this is how people have landed jobs this way. People have landed um, volunteer opportunities, have been able to really expand their network. So connect with folks in the chats. It's a really great way to start to build your network and you'll realize how unintimidating we are. We only want to help. Hey, volunteer opportunities are another great way to build that portfolio, Huge. right? Volunteer to do a pen test against a, uh, for a nonprofit, right? That, you know, accepts credit cards for donations, right? So, you know, something, something like that, right? That's another great way to build your portfolio as well. Cool. 
Just found Google that at the Turnpike episode. Oh, Google foo. Oh, Google foo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Brooklyn so 29 says, two oh, quick comments. Um, Brooklyn 29 says, I enjoyed being here. I learned so much. We thank you for coming so yeah. often. Um, and jo Joseph says, a lot of information to take in. It's a little bit difficult. Getting past the initial wall is what I mean. Okay. That's actually on us as leaders, right? Like going back to the supposed cybersecurity skills shortage, right? That we self-impose on ourselves. I mean, you you see, I mean, you, Joseph, you know, trying to break into the industry, you kind of see these ridiculous job descriptions out there that are like entry level stock analyst one position with 10 years of experience in a CISSP, right? There's, you know, we have a, we as leaders have a, huge disconnect in our expectations and and you know looking for uh check boxes on a resume versus actual skills and capabilities yeah rock i've been saving this question for for the whole time what do you do to develop and groom the young folks that you hire within your organization or that you mentor to to get them from zero to hero yeah so from from a mentoring perspective, a lot of it is just kind of advice and guidance what we're what we're doing now, right? But getting, you know, trying to establish, like trying to understand first of all what their goals are and what their interests are, right? Are are they more interested in the GRC and policy side? Are they more interested in the pen test, infrastructure, um, forensic side? And then you know, kind of helping to find a roadmap for them. And people who work for me kind of the same, except then I have the capability to allocate you know, 10%, 15% of their time, even 20% of their time, depending on what's going on, to, hey, go off and, and research something, learn something, right? And then try and allocate, historically, I've tried to allocate like 10% of their salary towards training every year, um, you, know, for, you know, from a training budget perspective, and then be committed to actually sending them to training. There's, there's no good time for training. Everybody's always busy. But you have to kind of force that issue on that in. So, and as a leader, that's upon us to create that space to where the employee can do so uh, without kind of feeling guilty or having the stress of what's going on back at the office uh, impacting that training. So, that's great. Um, one of the things that leaders, or not even only leaders, people across the board for as long as I've been doing tech recruiting and cyber recruiting have always talked about, you know, the one, one of the top reasons why folks leave is due to the lack of training, the lack of training budgets and things like that. So Rock, you're an awesome leader, you know, realizing that, honing that and, and ensuring that your team members are getting those skills and being able to continuously grow in, um, in the space because that's one of the number one reasons why people leave. So retention is probably really good in your organ your organization, whereas other places they turn over and they want they're they're asking why and it's like you could put ten thousand per person onto in in a budget, um, and send them to a couple conferences or to, to a year or whatever the case is and you wouldn't have so much turnover, um, as one of the issues one of the top issues. Yeah, and another thing I stress though is that it goes both ways. You have to take ownership of your professional development, right? So you can't do it all, quote unquote, on the company's dime, right? So if right. you are really passionate 
at, uh, you know, uh, digital forensics. Well, build a forensics lab in your home, right? Or if you're really passionate uh, to do pen testing, well, build a lab in your home or, or right. you know, try hackware or whatever, right? So it's, you can't just rely on the organization to provide you with the, the space and the time to do it, all your training kind of on the job. You have to take ownership of it. Yep. Very valid point. So Joseph says here, I've been looking to volunteer for a while and Paul is connecting him with, uh, Paul says he is built building volunteers since you stop awareness training for free to organizations in need. So Joseph, make sure you connect with Paul. Um, Sterling says, yes, the dialogue with people and not paper, both on this live and then asking questions after has opened my eyes of how encouraging folks are with those adapting their current experience into something we're all passionate about, which is cybersecurity. Thank you, Sterling. So Chris found our episode. It was the Breaking into Cybersecurity 2.0 Leadership Series, and the person's name is Brian Kelly. He is the CIO. It was an awesome episode. He talks about the future of, um, you know, what he sees in the future of cars. He had given me homework. He's also a professor. So he gave me homework to do research on the great manure crisis. I believe it was in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And how, you know, we went from there was kind of like a flip of a switch going from horses to cars at the turn of the century then. And how he foresees this flip of going to autonomous vehicles. So it's very, very, very interesting episode. Check that one out. Um, Joseph uh, says, and this is a response to probably, I think, Rock's comment about those crazy job descriptions. And Joseph says, I do. They want bachelors with several certs and experience but I've been hearing about a lot of others who don't know practical knowledge at all. Like, yeah, some of these people that have the certs and the bachelors and all that stuff. And it's just like, <laughs> right. And I mean, yesterday I was having a, a conversation with Evan Francil and he was talking about what his school is doing down in Texas and how they're, they're using some of the, the laws from Texas that makes them a workforce school and how they have to teach the the practical skills as part of their core engagement. And I thought that was amazing. And I don't know why more schools don't take that into consideration. That's great. That's really good. Uh, Danielle says, Renee, I'm doing well, working in compliance now. Woohoo! Creating a training for Massachusetts 201 CMR 17. I don't know what that is, but it sounds it awesome. Sounds like a class number. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a class. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds awesome, Danielle. Robert Bush says, can I ask a question? Deaf or hard of hearing users, can they be in cybersecurity? Would, they be, would there be issue in the workplace as a pen tester or something? Just curious. Sorry if it's out of subject. It is never out of subject here when we're talking about cyber. So, Robert, I'm glad you asked your question. Yeah, there's so many accommodations. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a ton of accommodations for that. Yeah, there's tons of accommodations. Danielle said it too. Robert, there's accommodations for that, for sure. And so I've also talked to, to leaders that look for those disabilities because mm -hmm. individuals have harnessed other aspects of their skills to overcome those quote-unquote disabilities and turn that into a superpower. Yeah, yes. we're starting to see more... Um, conversations around neurodiversity as part of the overall uh, diversity and inclusion initiatives, right? Yeah. Um, yep. We're starting to see a lot more conversations around neurodiversity. Yeah. 
because people learn to you overcompensate in one area. So you become, as, as Chris talks about, you have the superpower in a space that someone that has hearing may not really focus in on. So definitely jump in or for whoever you're asking about, um, it would be great. And then um, Joseph is going back at Paul Cummings. Um, I would love to speak with you more about these various CASP and CDRM, CDPSE, because um, he's dedicated to learning and putting the extra work to make it in the industry, which is fantastic. That's what we all look for. Um, so <laughs> Paul says, Chris, just like PST, PTSD is a superpower in a sock. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, I still have it. Oh, my gosh. So Robert Bush says, thanks. You're welcome, Robert. We're here to help. Um, we're coming up on the top of the hour. It is We have a couple minutes left. Any final comments before we hit 2 p.m. Eastern? If we don't have any other comments, I'd love to ask um, Brock, like, what's your final, uh, if you had to summarize um, everything that you've done to help grow the talent um, outside of your organization? Like, how would you summarize what individuals can do to help improve the talent pipeline within their organizations to help companies hire better and grow talent better? Okay. That's, that might be another episode, but real quick, um, <laughs> get off of our high horse that, you know, we need uh, very specialized, special snowflakes in our industry. And, you know, as you can see, uh, by these ridiculous job descriptions and requirements. But oftentimes it's not up to us. HR is coming up with these requirements because, you know, for uh, a cybersecurity engineer to fit into a certain uh, job uh, pay category, the HR has formulated these uh, metrics that they must have a college degree and must have a certain number of years of experience. Da, 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 da. And we know that the cybersecurity uh, job market and industry right now doesn't trend with like any of that, right? So um, you, you're going to have to play nice with your HR professionals um, to work with them to change a lot of those corporate requirements. Um, if you're not, and if you're in a, an organization that is not that structured uh, or that, I guess, uh, quote unquote, mature from an HR and hiring perspective, get off your high horse. There are plenty, tons of qualified individuals out there that don't check all of the skill set boxes, but have uh, the passion and the capability and the, and the hard skills. Like you could teach them a Palo Alto firewall or you could teach them um, Splunk, right? Like look for the passion, look for the capability. The rest of that will fall in line. Perfect. And I'm sorry, I have to be the final person since she talks about HR. <laughs> if you are a leader, and I know James has to rock, um, if you are a leader and you cannot overcome that barrier of your HR partner, then you're not really a leader. Like you should be able to, unless you are in a very regulated industry. So for example, public accounting, where you have to have a CPA, yeah, you have yeah. to have, you know, you're going to the government saying, by James, you're going to the government saying like, we have everyone on our staff has this cert or everyone on our staff has X. If that's not your space, then you should be able as a leader, one, not you, one should be able as a leader to talk to their HR department and explain why you don't need a person with a degree for a specific position. And I've seen it 
DOD eighty five seventy is one of the worst things to ever happen to it. So. Yeah, yeah. So you know when it's a, when it's a, when it's a certificate like when it's something where you can't you have no wiggle room. I understand, but in the other organizations where you do, you can work around that. So folks, thank you so much, Rock. You were amazing, Rock. What um I'm gonna put your uh your uh, LinkedIn in the yep. chat so it's that just Rock Lambros. Rockley, you're exactly right here. Rock Lambros, you can connect with him on LinkedIn. People are probably going to reach out to you because you sound like Please an amazing do. leader um, and try to get opportunities and all that other good stuff and just connect and network. So thank you so, so much for being here. This is very, very informative and interesting. Um, and we will see everybody here again next week. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. Have all right. Thanks. Bye, everybody. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.